Welcome back, folks. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. We're here to give you a part two of Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the Ring today, where we're going to be covering chapters The Old Forest through Strider. That's the next five chapters in the first book here in Fellowship of the Ring. So I'm glad to, uh, to say that this thing has been um, a very interesting start from what I remember as a kid, uh, but I will say this, there's a lot of things I like, either forgot about because it's been so long that I'm starting to pick up on a little bit better, and on top of that, I really kind of noticed that you know our, our guy, J.R. Tolkien, he just loves describing everything, I'll say that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so if you guys joined us last week, we started this big arc. We tackled the first five chapters, which was like a, a, a long expected party through a conspiracy unmasked. I'll go through a quick recap of all of that in just a second before we jump into what we're going to be tackling today. Before I do so, I'm going to turn the floor over to Chase, let him say a few words, and we'll go from there. Let's keep the party rolling, man. Just like you said, uh, I told you I haven't read these books since eighth grade, so it's funny what you really remember sticks out to you from the movie compared to like the books and there's even some characters today we'll talk about that I just plain old forgot <laughs> they were there so yeah man it's uh it's definitely building up we're getting this uh you know we're we're launching up the ramp right now is <laughs> what we're doing we're building up getting up to that fifth gear we're not quite there yet but uh let's keep the party rolling man I'll let you take it away Sounds like a plan, dude. So before we jump into a quick reclap, let's put our glasses in the air, do a little malice in the chalice business here because, you know, again, this is one of the flagship cornerstone pieces of fantasy fiction of all franchises ever. So, like, you know, this, this is going to get as much respect as it deserves. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. And so before we do that, let's just put the glasses in the air. And cheers to you, Malice brother. in the chalice. All right. So just to give a quick recap in case you missed last week's episode and don't know where we're going to pick up today. Uh, what we really covered, the first couple chapters in this book, we talked about like Bilbo's big party, his 111th party, how he had this big speech and he ended up disappearing with the ring. He decided that he's going to leave the Shire. You know, he goes back before he heads out on his little adventure. He has a little tussle with Gandalf. Not a tussle, but they had a little disagreement about a certain item in his possession. Uh, Bilbo did not want to give up the ring. Gandalf said, hey, man, give up the ring. And eventually they compromise, and Bilbo gave up the ring. <laughs> and then, so Bilbo heads out. He leaves all of Bag End to Frodo. Frodo gets the ring. Gandalf kind of feels a little weird about how much of a hold it had on Bilbo. So he goes to kind of find out some information. Frodo's kind of like the master of everything now in the Shire at Bag End and all that good stuff. And eventually Gandalf makes his way back, tells him exactly what that ring is, what it signifies, and you know who had it before him, and almost a little bit about the lineage of where it came from during the first Great War against Sauron and how it went to pass to a door, how it passed into the lake to Daigle, and then how Smeagol killed him and took it, and how Bilbo took it back from Smeagol, and how it's kind of been in the Shire ever since. You know, and so he basically tells them that he, we can't keep it in here Gollum gave you up they know Baggins is the name they're coming after you and so he's got to leave the Shire and they're, they're trying to make for Rivendell so they get on their little journey there we're getting pursued by some black riders they make a way through they see you know, a farmer maggot with his crops of mushrooms and uh you know he ends up getting them safely through the ferry they get to that house that he bought that was supposed to be kind of you know he was trying to trick the rest of the Shire into thinking he ran out of money he wanted to go like retire in a more humble area and 
you know, they get there and they decide that they are going to leave. He has this, uh, they decide, well, I'll say, you know, a really good part of that too is but they all kind of trick Frodo and let him know that, hey, we're all coming with you. We all knew this was coming a long time. Sam kind of gave up some information and, you know, we're not letting you do this alone. We're coming with you. So that's kind of the real start of where, you know, the, all the hobbits decide to come together. That's Merry, Pippin, Frodo, and Sam. And now uh, they, we ended off with that weird dream of the White Tower with the dark thunder that just happened. And we talked a little bit about that uh, last week. And that kind of picks up into where we are today. You know, and that's where we're going to kind of start off is the next chapter called The Old Forest. And, you know, to kind of get us going there, they have to make a decision on how they're going to leave this place and get to the next stop in their destination. You know, they've got the choice to either take this road here the main road but unfortunately the black rider has been up and down that road and they don't want to mess with them they talk about this old forest and their other guy there uh Frediger bolger uh he tells them hey man you don't want to do the forest the forest is creepy it's got all these stories surrounding it you know people don't generally come out of this forest that seems to have a mind of its own and they're like well you know if we take into consideration like the balancing scale is like you know, I'd rather go to the forest than take the road and potentially have this issue with these black riders. So, that's what they decide to do. Going in here to this chapter, chapter 6 is called The Old Forest. And yeah, so they start to go in there. And The biggest things I kind of took away from this chapter, and this to me was one of the more challenging chapters to get through just on an attention span level. Because like, it, to me it seemed like not a lot happened. Right, it just seemed that they were in the forest. They are walking through it. It, it. it did give this really ominous vibe that there's something dark there. You know, Mary tells them that there's been trails that have been blazed like through fire and stuff, and that the trees and what's alive in the forest kind of don't like human interaction. They always have like a, a thing against them. And we, you know, we've had a couple times in this chapter where. It felt like the, the trees almost felt like they were suffocating them. Like if there was like no air to breathe and, you know, they couldn't see where they were going and there were so many roots and and branches and like the trunks of trees were just so pressing in on them. It almost felt like the, the forest was alive and it was against them trying to, you know, prevent them from going through it. And, you know, that was kind of cool because you kind of get, it, uh, maybe it could be a foreshadow of certain things to come in later books, but definitely get the feeling that there's something in the forest that's more, kind of supernatural in a way you know it's not just a regular old forest full of trees this you know they say like that the branches come down and hit you in the back the roots will trip you up and like you know basically make it very very difficult to get through this forest and that's why people generally avoid it uh and you know this all kind of culminates into the big kind of takeaway from this first chapter that we're doing today here in chapter six that uh they end up getting real drowsy and real sleepy and they end up going against this like big willow tree and to kind of take a quick nap but it's kind of a trap like the willow tree was in a way singing to them and kind of lulling them into a fall of sense of security like they felt something was weird about it but they couldn't fight it right and they just kind of drifted off into like a, like a stupor and a couple things happened here we had Frodo he wanted to go like dip his feet in the in the river area and so he goes and does that. Everyone else is kind of laying down. And Sam's the only one that kind of keeps his head here a little bit. He's like, wait a second. Something's not right. Then he hears this, like, splash. He looks over. Like, the tree had dumped Frodo into the dang, <laughs> the dang river. He's trying to drown him. So it says, like, Sam, like, with difficulty, like, grabbed Frodo and got him out of there. And I kind of, like, woke Frodo up. And he's like, okay, well, this is the big problem now. And they realize Pippin is straight missing. Where the hell is Pippin? We got no idea. 
And then on the other side of the tree, you see Mary, and like the root has got him and like it's trapped him. It's like grabbing him and like, like kind of pulling him in and, you know, say like squeezing the life out of him. And so they're freaking out. They're trying to figure out how the hell that they're going to go ahead and, you know, get Mary and Pippin free. Because they think at this point Pippin might be actually inside of the tree, which is crazy. <laughs> but uh, they, they start making like a fire because they know like the trees hate fire. And so they do that. They make a fire and... and Mary and Pippin start screaming and tell him stop stop like it's telling me that it's gonna snap me in half It's gonna suffocate me. It's gonna kill me and like so they kick out the fire and you know They're like shouting trying to do something to get some help and well, we get this really interesting Individual we hear you know, but according to like the pages in the novel like some weird singing and humming tune and this guy's kind of just like whistling along his own way and he comes across you know Frodo, Frodo and Sam run up to him and he comes across them and he's holding like some lilies there and like, he's just, he is not concerned at all. Like, they're freaking out and panicking. They're like, dude, like, our friends are almost dead. Like, this tree's killing him. And the older guy's like, oh, not old man Willow again. And then goes up to him and kind of sings to him and gives him, like, a like almost a threat. Like, I'll, I'll, you know, whatever. But point being, this new guy comes into play. And this is, like, the first individual, the first person that we've seen in this forest. And like I said, they, they took majority of this chapter of just walking through the forest, finding their way, way, figuring out they went the wrong way, trying to go back the right way. Like, there's a lot of that kind of nonsense. And now this is the first individual we've come across in the forest, and he's very peculiar. He's very strange, and we're going to learn a little bit more about him next chapter. But long story short, he ends up saving Pippin and Mary from the tree, he sings to the tree, gets them out of there, and now they are with this guy named Tom Bombadil, and that is actually going to go into the next chapter, chapter 7 here. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and kind of turn it over to Chase to give his takeaways for this first chapter, uh, chapter six. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it, man. Uh, the only other takeaway I had was Tom Bombadil. I mean, you basically said it. Like, he, he's just like a master singer. I mean, I guess like American Idol is making a comeback. Every time I turn around, Tom Bombadil is singing his little, little hobbit heart out or whatever he is. I guess he's not a hobbit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, was he just like, did that song, a question for you, did that song, did you felt like it mean anything, or do you think he was just singing to sing? Like, I think it had some power in the words, uh, and it seems like you know, he has some sort of mystical energy around him, and we're going to learn more about it in this coming chapter, but, you know, for, for me... Like, the biggest thing is like, they described his stature. It says, like, he wasn't, like, kind of big enough to be, like, a big folk, but he was definitely bigger than the hobbits. So, it's like, kind of, what is he, right? You know, because you think about it, you know, people bring up other, you know, species, you know, races in, in Lord of the Rings. There's, like, elves, and elves are usually tall and graceful. He's not an elf because he's too short. He's not a man. He's too short to be a man. And, like, wizards are generally, like, I would think normally, like, taller size as well, too. So, it's just, it kind of leaves you wondering... What is this guy? You know, he's taller than hobbits, shorter than regular-sized men. He's not a dwarf, it doesn't seem like, right? Like, so, I don't know. Uh, I got no idea. But in terms of your question about, like, the songs, I think that there's just power in his words. And he has some sort of grasp of this forest. And we're going to learn just a bit more about that in the next chapter. But that, that's my answer. Yeah, no, that's great. That's just all I really uh, had a question about. But, yeah, no, you, you nailed those takeaways. And I'll let you go ahead and take it to... Uh, chapter 7. Alright, so it's kind of funny that we talk about Tom Bombadil because chapter 7's title is In the House of Tom Bombadil. And in this chapter, some of the bigger takeaways that I had 
is that again he has this sort of mastery over the things around him like this forest holds so many traps and tricks and you know stumble points for everybody and you know already it has a reputation outside of the forest of like yo no one go in there because you might not make it out like likelihood you're not going to make it out and this guy's got not a care in the world he lives in the forest <laughs> like that's he has his own little like hill patch and it was like describing his house as like they're like on the the lead up to it the hill leading up to it all the grass is like nice and trimmed it's almost like it was been mowed uh yeah the, the trees kind of give it its wide birth and space and you know we get we get to this thing and we meet another character too and her name is goldberry and you know there's something strange about her she's like known as the river daughter and what's interesting about that is you know is there any sort of supernatural properties of her too that that's what begs the question it just it seems like these two characters and i don't and i'll just be 100 percent honest it's been a long time since i've read these novels i don't know if they ever come back into play at all throughout the rest of this novel, The Two Towers, or Return of the King, I don't know if Tom Bombadil and, and Goldberry ever make another appearance in these. So, like, I, if they don't, man, like, I really wish we could have got some explanation on these guys, these characters because they're very unique and they're honestly very, very helpful. Without these two characters, especially Tom Bombadil, Frodo and Sam, Mary Pippin don't make it out of the forest, and that's the end of our fellowship, the end of the journey right there. Like, <laughs> the ring doesn't make it to Rivendell, nothing happens, right? They, they die, then that's it, and then the ring's just trapped in the forest there, and before some something else grabs it, maybe one of these things that we're going to come talk about in the next chapter, actually. Uh, but, yeah, you know, but to Chase's point, a lot of the, you know, ideas that we get surrounding Tom Bombadil and, and what he taught, he kind of talks in song a lot. He had, I don't know, was it like four or five songs that he sang? And then obviously Goldberry, she's got a few of her own too. And, you know, it's almost, uh, it's very interesting to kind of see. And he kind of just seems to make things happen out of almost thin air. Like as if he was like a magician or a wizard, you know, just, yeah, they had these, a full spread of food come from where? Like the forest didn't really seem like it had a whole lot, but like he, you know, this is like he just kind of makes things appear. And the hobbits are like, Hey, but you know, we might have missed a few meals, but you know, we not we haven't run out of anything. Like this guy has this this all right here. It's just, it's very very interesting. And then this river daughter thing as well. I don't know. Is it almost kind of gives me like Mother Nature vibes in a way. I, I guess that that's the best way I can kind of put that. Uh, but basically, with this chapter, Tom Bombadil's kind of giving them the whole rundown of the forest and trying to make sure that they know exactly what roads to take and you know the ways they need to go to kind of get out of there safely uh he he doesn't kind of give them a lot of information but he seems to know a lot about them and that's the thing is like is the forest telling them is he just got this this property of things that he knows he, like what's kind of cool too and this is just like a full circle moment he even spoke highly of farmer maggot like you know just this random character that we just passed by casually like we thought anyways but this Tom Bombadil said that this, he's a good person. He's got his feet firmly rooted in the earth. Like, that's interesting. It was really interesting to me and stuff I definitely forgot about. And then, yeah, he basically gives them safety from the woods. And he, like, it's, like I said, his words have some sort of magical property because each one of them had this weird dream, except for Sam. So Pippin had a weird dream. Mary had a weird dream, and Frodo had a weird dream. And like when they woke up in a startle and a fright because they, they thought they were in trouble, like his words kind of echoed in their heads about like you know you're safe here in these walls. Like I'm not gonna read the exact quotes or anything, but it just it was interesting. And then they they heard those words of reassurance, and they they nodded back off to sleep and felt super well rested throughout the rest of their time there. Uh, and to kind of talk about one of the dreams as well, 
this is where this could be. I, then this kind of brings me a good question too. Does Frodo have some sort of gift of like premonition? Like, is he able to like see things in the future in his dreams? I've got no idea because we like we see this tower, this dark tower, surrounded by a gate or whatever, and we see a tall man. Like, like a, almost looks like I forget what the exact wording was, but basically it says like an eagle flew by and he jumped off the tower onto the eagle. And if you've obviously watched the films, you'll kind of know what that signifies. You know, I don't want to get too much ahead of it in the novel here, but like that's definitely something that actually happened. So does like I, I guess I can ask you: Does Frodo have some sort of premonition ability? Can he see pieces of the future? Is it ring related or is it just like? Frodo himself? Like, what, what do you think about that? It's very interesting because here's the catch is it almost reminds me of Harry Potter in a way, but the catch is Harry. It made sense because he was, you know, he was affected by Voldemort's magic, which we know the ending of that. Go listen to our season one. So it, it's very interesting. It makes me wonder if he does have some sort of premonition power. I'm going to actually read the dream because I think it does give a lot of foreshadowing. Uh, it's just this one paragraph here, but it says, In the dead of night, Frodo lay in a dream without light. Then he saw the young moon rising. Under its thin light, there loomed before him a black wall of rock, pierced by a dark arch like a great gate. It seemed to Frodo that he was lifted up and passing over he saw the rock wall was a circle of hills, and that within it was plain, and in the midst of the plain stood a pinnacle of stone, like a vast tower but not made by hands. On its top stood the figure of a man. The moon as it rose seemed to hang for a moment above his head and glistened in his white hair as the wind stirred it. Up from the dark plain below came the crying of fell voices and the howling of many wolves. Suddenly a shadow like the shape of great wings passed across the moon. The figure lifted his arms and light flashed from the staff that he wielded. A mighty eagle swept down and bore him away. The voices wailed and the wolves yammered. There was a noise like a strong wind blowing and on it was born the sound of hooves galloping, galloping, galloping from the east. Black riders, thought Frodo, as he wakened with the sound of hooves still echoing in his mind. He wondered if he would ever again have the courage to leave the safety of these stone walls. He lay motionless, still listening, but all was now silent, and at last he turned and fell asleep again, or wandered into some other unremembered dream. It's a very interesting dream and the only reason i want to read that is because and we don't want to give anything away in the future it almost in a way it's like a mix of something we see that happens to gandalf later on that i don't want to get into and almost in a way of something in like the two towers like it makes me kind of wonder on that what's your thoughts i think i know what you're talking about but for me i really do believe just because of what we know from, like, you know, obviously we talked a little bit about last week, talking about like Saruman and all that, like what he has going on and where he lives. Obviously, don't I don't want to speak on it. It's, it's silly, right? You know, it sounds silly, guys, because I know everyone's watched the movie and watched the films and probably read the book at some point in time. So you kind of get where we're getting at. But we want to keep it chronological for a reason. And so like just that's why we're kind of keeping things kind of on the on the low now, so that way it all comes back and we can kind of you know explain 
you know, the nuances and how like it meanders and how it comes from what parts of the novel to where we end up with that. And that's kind of why we do this in this kind of, you know, sort of weird wishy-washy way where we touch on things, but we try to also not touch on them at the same time. But uh, yeah. like, you know, for me, it really, I, I think it has to do with a certain escape. And that's, that's what I think it, it, it signifies um, from what we learn later. And I, I think I know where you're going with, with that. I just, just everything that kind of, that the dreams mention, you know, the staff, the figure of a man with white hair, an eagle coming down and bearing him away. I really think it has a lot to do. I think that yeah. that was the premonition of, of a certain escape that's that's bound to happen here. So that that's what I'll say on that. Yeah, but to answer your question, I mean, I would think, I mean, clearly he has some sort of, I don't think it's magical powers because, I mean, does it talk about ever like hobbits having any sort of magical abilities like elves? Not really. But they, they, Frodo's a little interesting, right? Because he's a friend of elves. He speaks that, you know, he knows a little bit about their ancient language. Bilbo had like a relationship with these elves too. So, and that's kind of what I want to ask is, is this sort of premonition and these powers that Frodo seems to be possessing of foresight or maybe like, you know, being able to see at the same point in time. I'm not saying that maybe he sees into the future, but maybe he sees things that are happening in real life while he's asleep. Could it be like related to the power of the ring? Is the ring is what giving him this, or is this his own powers of his own self? Like, I guess that that's the question I have. Uh, me personally, I think it's because he's holding the ring, is what I think. I think it's the influence of the ring because my evidence to back that up is even though we know very little. Well, this is tough. This is a very difficult. Um, question my argument would be it's the ring because we haven't seen or heard any evidence of that happening to frodo before he had the ring however then you know not to bring up the hobbit but it does mention in passing in the beginning of here you could say that also like didn't happen with bilbo so i i don't know that's just my opinion i don't, can't find any evidence to back it up but that's just my thoughts is it's the ring that's causing this to make him have these foresights. What about you? Yeah, it could be very similar to the Harry Potter situation where because of him being, Harry being the Horcrux, he was able to speak Parseltongue to snakes, you know, and, and once he destroyed that piece of himself, he never was able to speak to snakes again. So it might be like, like related to the ring. I, I, I think that's a very plausible you know, conclusion to draw. I don't think you're crazy for saying that. I don't think there's much evidence one way or the other, but I can definitely see why that would be where your thought process lies, and I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, you know, he doesn't like hobbits don't tend to really possess much magical power. Now, it does say Frodo is a little bit more peculiar than other hobbits, and who knows, maybe there is something. But yeah, we don't get a whole lot of Frodo before the ring comes into his possession, though, so it's hard, it's really hard to tell. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm leaning towards uh, that it's the ring that is giving him these abilities and the, the proximity to the closeness of the ring, and maybe you know, it kind of shows him these because all of those d dreams, I would say, kind of have a darkness around them. You know what I mean? Like a little bit of uh, like foreboding and you know ominous, and that usually you know is attributed to like an evil power source, and that's kind of what the ring is. And so yeah, I think I think that's where I would draw that conclusion to. Um, and then to kind of finish up my thoughts just on this chapter, and I'll turn it over to you to kind of give your thoughts on it. There's a few things that I thought were really really important in this chapter as well. Uh, how like I said, Tom Bombadil seemed to know a lot about Frodo and about Merry Sam and Pippin, and 
uh, that he even mentioned uh, Gildor by name, one of the fair elves that they met earlier, and how uh, they like Gildor. Imagine this: like elves go out of their way to kind of avoid people. And I'm not saying they think they're better than everyone else, but they kind of have that whole like exclusivity. We are our own people, and like we're just going to keep to ourselves type of like air around them. But they felt necessary to divulge information to Tom Bombadil. So Tom Bombadil holds some level of respect, even amongst the elves. And not even just regular elves. These are like the high elves, the fair elves, right? So that, again, kind of shows you that there's something really strange about this Tom Bombadil guy. And he's a lot more than what meets the eye. And there was even another part in there, too, where he was like, it was raining down, coming down really hard. And like they were going to leave that day or something. And... He like kind of like trying to like like you know push like the rain away and and he said he came in he was super dry except for his boots like there's something weird about this guy man uh, but also I think the biggest the biggest key takeaway from this chapter is what I'm about to talk about right now uh, on Tom Bombadil knowing about the ring right and you know the ring has this crazy influence about everyone Gandalf himself said yeah he didn't want to even take the ring because he thought like the power of influence would be too strong he didn't think he could fight it and. You know, it, you know, with his strength, it could be very, very dangerous in his possession. Well, this Tom Bombadil guy, he just kind of laughs about it. He's like, yeah, give me the ring. And, like, he, like, grabs it, like, throws up in the air, plays around with it like it's just a, a, a toy. And then he ends up putting the ring on his pinky finger. He put the ring on. And the craziest part about this, he didn't disappear. Nothing happened at all. He put the ring on, and he was still him. And everyone's looking at that like, what in the world? And so he kind of does this weird little trick where he throws up in the air and it disappears. The ring disappears and then he puts it, like, he does like this like sleight of hand trick and puts it back into Frodo's hand. And Frodo starts thinking, yo, how do I know he didn't swap it out? How do I know this is the right ring? Like it feels heavy in my hand, it feels right. And so he decides to test it out and he puts the ring on himself and Frodo disappears. So we know it's, it's the right ring and you know, we know that uh, there was no trick to that. And then he tries to walk away. But, and then on top of this, Tom Bombadil can see Frodo when Frodo's invisible with the ring on. He has the ability to see an invisible man. And so he tells him, hey, come in here and take that ring out. Don't, you know, you've had your fun. Come in here. There's some things you got to know before we get going. It's just his casualness, his ability to put the ring on and nothing happening, his ability to see Frodo while Frodo's invisible. It just, there's something mystical about this guy. And I really wish that, you know, again, I, it's been a long time. Maybe he does come up again later on. I hope he does. But if he doesn't, there's a lot of questions that are left about this Tom Bombadil character, and so that's that's the kind of takeaways I have from Chapter 7. Well, what about you? What did you have? Yeah, just a couple of takeaways. Uh, one is that they actually refer to Tom Bombadil as the master of wood, water, and hill. And that's just a, a small little thing about him, but I think it's really important because if you even think about elves and, and wizards, like even from the way... Um, Lager's parts coming up, you know, how they manipulate water and they manipulate the elements. None of them have ever been called masters of anything. And I think that's really important because, like, you see even, like, Gandalf. Like, I mean, uh, you can arguably say Gandalf is one of the most powerful people in this entire story. And I still have yet to hear him be called a master of something. So I just think, think that's really important. Um, it does mention at one point that news... Uh, was starting to travel that Frodo was traveling with the ring so I think that's an important moment there and then I don't want to bring this up too much and I don't like reading a lot of things but I am going to read that passage that you mentioned just so our because it deals with my debate later um, just so our audience can hear it 
just the small passage because he basically teases this ring which is very um really shows his power and he says show me the precious ring he suddenly in the midst of the story and frodo to his own astonishment drew out the chain from his pocket and unfastening the ring handed it at once to tom it seemed to grow larger as it lay for a moment on his brown-skinned hand then suddenly he put his eye and laughed for a second the hobbit had a vision both comical and alarming of his bright blue eye gleaming through a circle of gold then tom put the ring round the end of his little finger and held it up to the candlelight for a moment the hobbit noticed nothing strange about this then they gasped there was no sign of tom disappearing tom laughed again then he spun the ring in the air and it vanished with a flash frodo gave a cry and tom leaned forward and handed it back to him with a smile and i just think that's important to read because it shows like he wasn't threatened by this at all like it's he it was almost laughable to him so this brings up like which we'll get into later like you could almost argue like <laughs> this tom bombadil character that in my opinion we don't get enough of in this book there's definitely something about him we're not told uh you can even argue just from this little instance arguably now <laughs> he's more powerful than anyone we've ever been introduced to in this entire franchise uh but yeah and those were my takeaways for this chapter and i'll let you take the next one man yeah it sounds like a plan dude uh that i just i i want to know i guess i can kind of make that into a debate later on it's just what kind of part he could have played in this in this series if you know he decided yeah. to take part in all of the action or like maybe his power comes from the woods and like maybe he wouldn't have been any sort of asset to them outside it and maybe that's why he kind of stays in his you know in his lane so to speak right that's just an interesting uh, way to to think and my thoughts on it but uh, yeah yeah the next chapter we're going to get into is the chapter 8 it's called fog on the barrow downs and kind of takeaways into this chapter is kind of much of the same. Now we are getting this this whole going back into the forest thing, trying to follow trails, kind of get into that dull moments like where it's like, okay, we're following these trails, we're trying to figure out to stay on the lanes that Tom Bombadil told us. Uh, and on top of that, too, actually, before I kind of get too far into Chapter 8, I, just, I wanted to ask you as well, because this is something that I think is worth mentioning about. Like, what do you think about Goldberry? Is, is she, do you kind of get, like, this sort of Mother Nature vibes from her, too, the river daughter there? Is, do you think she, she's... Obviously, I don't know if she's fully human, but she seems to take corporeal form at the very least. What do, what do you think about this girl? Does she, does she manipulate the weather, too? Is she someone that kind of brings water down? Like, I don't really know. It just... She, she's almost mysterious in her own way. What are your thoughts on her? It's a tough thought because that's the problem here is we don't get enough, and I don't know if this was intentional by Tolkien, and this is what's hard, right? Because it's not like, you know, and not to be mentioning other franchises, but authors we know that are still alive today, like George R. R. Martin or J.K. Rowling. No one can sit there and just ask Tolkien this today, like what his thought was on it, and get any sort of conversation with him 
So it makes you wonder whether he meant to bring up more after the fact on this, whether because we know Tolkien wrote a lot in appendixes um, that were finished later on by people. So maybe like that was a thought there, just like how he developed uh, the whole ancient language and all this extra stuff that he he made with this universe. So I don't know if that was the intention, but yeah, you kind of get like the... We'll talk about this person later, but she reminds me of Galadriel, which is the Lady of the Wood, um, and how ancient she is. But it's different because there's no elven features or anything. It's almost like she represents, yeah, like everything that's of the elements. Like she is like the elements or something. It's hard to say, man. The problem is I don't have a lot of facts to really even develop an opinion like whether or not like she's just like really like in tune with nature or she has like magical abilities it's hard to say what are your thoughts yeah i, I agree with you 100 percent. we just don't have enough information to draw like, some level of conclusion only part is that she decides to live with tom bombadil and you know obviously he's got mystical properties about him like he sings and things happen and and all that he puts the ring on nothing nothing happens to him at all he can see invisible people so obviously there's something mystical about him so that would lead me to believe there's something mystical about about her as well he said he found her in the river like she like he calls her the river daughter and to me yeah it's something elemental to that i agree with you i uh, just i don't know what level of power she has or what her abilities are or what she signifies like i said to me it just gave me like a, like mother nature vibes that she like it's just peace, love, and harmony with all the elements in their like little world that they have, and I don't know. That's my only thought on it. So there's one more thing too I wanted to read in this chapter, uh, talking about back to chapter seven, and this is you know I don't terribly do too many passages from the novel, but I thought this was pretty important as we debate and talk about again the mysticality of Tom Bombadil. Right here it says, Frodo asks him, "Who are you, master?" And he says, what? Said Tom, sitting up, his eyes glinting in the gloom. Don't you know my name yet? That's the only answer. Tell me, who are you, alone, yourself, and nameless? But you are young, and I am old. Eldest, that's what I am. Mark my words, my friends. Tom was here before the river and the trees. Tom remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn. He made paths before the big people and saw the little people arriving. He was here before the kings and the graves and the barrow whites. When the elves passed westward, Tom was here already, before the seas were bent. He knew the dark under the stars when it was fearless, before the dark lord came from outside. So he's been, in the, again, we talk about it, he's been here almost seemingly forever, right? It's almost like he was the original settler in Middle Earth. Like, is that, is that like, fair to say? Is Tom the first settler of Middle-earth? Or just that part of Middle-earth? Because there's, there's a whole map that you know you can go down through, and maybe it's just this part of the world he was the first settler. What are your thoughts on that? I don't want to give anything away to our debate. <laughs> but um, I think there's more to him than just the first settler. Um, there are... Uh, I don't want to give anything into the debate, so I'll leave I'll leave that for towards the end of this episode. Um, but my thoughts on Tom is you would almost argue he is the creator of the universe 
is what I'll say because there's no one else that's been you know referred to like that in those passages that I've even heard of um, and, and what's so astonishing is even as highly thought of as it talks about in these books you know what other person has Gandalf the Grey talked about so highly along with the elves talked about so highly I mean even I mean <laughs> even hobbits and, and men of the middle age know about him so what what other character have you ever heard of that's talked about highly from every single species like even dwarves we know they hate elves and then back and forth i don't recall any species that has talked bad about tom bombadil and whatever he is because just like we were saying before we can't verify he's a hobbit he kind of looks like one but that's not necessarily saying that's what he is but there's no text in here that says anything negative about him in regards to his abilities so yeah you can make that argument i support it i just don't know enough facts to be able to validate that what are your thoughts it's just that you know there's something we obviously know there's something about him he's highly regarded by everything that passed through his forest and the forest seems to not affect him where it affects everybody else and he seems to be the master of it and he was there before it was created so yeah, I don't know. I think that yeah, being the first settler there, I don't know if he's the first settler period in in Middle Earth, but he's got he's got a lot of years on his on under his belt. That's all I know for sure. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> to kind of move us into to chapter eight, the fog on the Barrow Downs. This is where I was talking about. You know, it's more of that same. Let's walk through, try to get through the forest. The forest is kind of giving them tricks and stuff, and Frodo thinks he sees something that's kind of important. And uh, he kind of goes towards that and doesn't realize he's left everybody else behind. He hears like muffled cries from his people and he tries to get back to that area. He, like his own pony, they like, bucked him off and ran away. So you know there's something really ominous about what they're about to get themselves into. And like, all of a sudden you, you kind of see Frodo kind of fade out of consciousness. And he, he kind of awakens and he's in this like tomb or this crypt. And it, it, this is very, very, uh, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it was kind of creepy when they really explain the situation, right? Like, they, he said he saw like the, his friends once he kind of woke up, and they were all in clad in almost like funeral attire, uh, and they were given like gold rings and chains and and had stuff along their bodies and there's a sword along all of their throats like a really long one all the way across and it said that their skin was kind of was kind of pale and yeah it was weird so i don't know man i thought that was very very interesting and it was kind of creepy and then you know the good news is over everything and I'll actually kind of even read that right there. He says, He turned, and there in the cold glow he saw lying beside him, Sam, Pippin, and Mary. They were on their backs, their faces looked deathly pale, and they were clad in white. About them lay many treasures of gold. Maybe, though, in that light they looked cold and unlovely. On their heads were circlets, gold chains about their waists, 
and on their fingers were many rings, swords lay by their sides, shields were at their feet, but across their three necks lay one long naked sword. So it's almost, it did, correct me if I'm wrong, brother, but didn't it kind of almost seem ritualistic? Like there was some sort of like ritual aspect to where they were in there? What did you think? Did you think that as well? Yeah, it looked like they were about to make like human sacrifices or something in there. Um, Jay and Ellie, actually, we were talking about this earlier before we started the show. It kind of reminded you of like, not to bring up other franchises, but the whole kind of Game of Thrones, White Walker kind of vibe thing going on in there. But yeah, that's my thoughts. I agree. Yeah. So that's, and that's kind of what we, we see, you know, we kind of see what, what they call like a barrel white. And what's kind of funny when you mentioned that, remember that some of the, especially in the novels, they are the white walkers, like the ones that aren't the full white walkers are referred to as whites. So if this kind of called barrel whites and this is kind of came way before. I wonder if that is where George R. R. Martin kind of got the idea from is these kind of things. Cause it, it it was very, very eerily similar, guys. And when I say that, it's because this is like the point where Frodo kind of gets a bit of courage and he sees that thing about to kill all of them. He said he could have slipped on the ring and got away himself, but he decided, no, I can't do that to my friends. I've got to, like, you know, stand my ground here. And he takes, like, one of the swords that were by his body and chops at that hand that's about to attack, like, Mary Pippin and Sam. And it cuts the hand off uh, and he realizes that. It, the, the, the thing is still the, the, the basically didn't feel it or, or whatever and then he remembers what Tom Bombadil said like hey if you're in any sort of trouble like sing this song and I'll come help you out and so he sings that song he said even like this that, that's another like, aspect to, to Tom Bombadil it said in the passage when Frodo was singing in his name and he even started to feel stronger more sure of himself just by the mere mention of Tom Bombadil which is very very interesting like if you guys you know it kind of almost draws religious vibes in a way uh interestingly enough like if you you're casting out like a demon you, you, there's power in the name of christ and a lot of, of beliefs like across the world and so said to have that it was kind of very eerie that there's a little similarity between that as well that you know he kind of grew power and more sure of himself by just by calling out the name tom bombadil and like singing for him and then you know right on cue tom bombadil comes in saves the day and gets them all out of there. And this is like this is like the second time that Tom Bombadil has saved their ass. The second time that the forest would have killed them. And at this point, like Tom Bombadil's like, guys, I, I'm just gonna go with you until you get out of the forest because you obviously have a problem in here. Like we went all we we talked about how to get out of here. I gave you all the steps you needed to know, and yet you still fuck it up. So let me just go ahead and guide <laughs> you on the way out. And what's crazy about this guy? And then this is what I talk about with that little eerie similarity to Game of Thrones is that when they left. He said like the, the the severed hand was still moving on the ground like a spider, which is very similar to the white like the whites in Game of Thrones where like they the body parts kept moving after you cut them off. And so like I'm I'm pretty convinced that this is where George R. R. Martin got that inspiration from. I can't prove it, but it seems awfully similar to me. And these books obviously were written in the forties and way before uh, the Game of Thrones series, so I, I think that this might be something that's derived, uh, you know, that, that George Romer derived right from Lord of the Rings here, so, and anyways, we get, they get out of that little tomb area, or the crypt, or whatever it was, and they had they lost all their clothes, and Tom Bobolo leaves, and comes back, and somehow he founds all their ponies, the pack's still good to go, like, he just making shit happen, he's got his own little pony there that's gonna lead the way now, so they're all, they took all their ritual stuff off, and Tom even grabs like something for Goldberry there. Like, oh, this belonged to a fair woman. Well, it's now gonna be 
Goldberry is in. We'll, we'll think about the lady who, you know, unfortunately came to a untimely end in the, in the meantime. So thought that was kind of cool. They, they put all the ritual stuff out there in the forest floor, and anyone that could come and take it could if they wanted to. That, that is another interesting thing that Tom just put that all the treasures out there and said, eh, first come, first serve, who cares, right? And then he leads them all the way to the edge of the forest, and they want him to come with them. He's like, no, this is my place. Like, this is where I gotta go. Goldberry is waiting for me back there. This is kind of where we say goodbye. But if you want my, you know, help or my thoughts, like one more piece of advice before you go, make for the end of the prancing pony. You know, this is like, I think that's where you'll find someone that you have people that can help you. They, they, the barman there, he's a stand up guy. So if I were you, that's what I would do. And they're basically like, well, this guy is basically, he's kind of saved our ass a couple times now. Maybe we should take his advice here and, and make our way there. And so that's kind of how that chapter ends. And the last takeaways I have for chapter eight, Fog on the Barrow Downs. Uh, what about you? What were some takeaways that you had from this chapter? Yeah, no, I think I think you nailed it. Um, it was, uh, by the way, too, just some interesting things to think about. Because these books, like you said, were written so early on, I think even Harry Potter, in a way, it takes a lot of things from here. Because, for instance, Frodo's dreams are so similar to a lot of different... I mean, the dream itself isn't, but the way Frodo has premonitions is very similar to the way Harry has dreams. So uh, that's a thought on that. Also, another mention, uh, what's interesting here, a kind of a side interesting fact how you mentioned a lot of like very revelation or uh, very biblical references in a way, that actually is a big theory on Tolkien's work with Lord of the Rings, is that it has a lot of biblical references, because a lot of people don't know, he actually wrote this book when C.S. Lewis wrote Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, because C.S. Lewis was his student when he was a professor. So they were working on both of these books at around the same time. So the thought is that there's a lot of references like that in there. But uh, no, I, I thought you had the great takeaways. I mean, the only other extra thing that's not really that much important because we learned about it in the next chapter, but uh, we learned that Barlamin Butterbur, which I thought was funny. It's kind of similar to Butterbeer. <laughs> Since we're talking about similarities, right? Uh, he's the one that owns uh, the. He's the keeper of the place where they're heading. So, and um, they asked Tom Bombadil to go with them. Wouldn't that had been a badass ally? But he refused to go and said he had to tend to his own place. So, no. But everything else you you uh, did awesome on. Uh, and I'll let you take away chapter nine, man. Yeah, real quick before I do. I think that that kind of pulls. I, I know I asked this question earlier, but do you think that Tom Bombadil's kind of power comes from the Force, and maybe he wouldn't have been as much of an asset if he did decide to go on? Maybe his knowledge would have been super helpful, but like, do you think he would have had any sort of magical components outside of his domain, being the the old forest? Like, do you have any thoughts on that? That's interesting. Um, maybe that's the case. Maybe he didn't have any powers outside the forest but it makes you wonder because i mean just like how we saw like the willow trees in the chapter the old forest you know and not to give anything away as we know like some things come into play later with trees it just makes you wonder like i just would 
for someone that's a master of wood water uh, exactly what they said uh, that I was saying before they referred to him as the master of wood water and hill so based on that statement if he's also the master of water I mean I would think he has some sort of powers outside the forest I just think my personal opinion, which I can't argue this at all, because I think that's a very good point you make. Maybe he doesn't have powers outside of that area, or maybe it's just enchanted to him or something. But maybe he just, just like the ring, right? Like when he put on the ring, like he just didn't care. Like almost like a guy that literally cares about nothing. Like it doesn't concern me. Like I'm above this. Almost like I almost took it as... Like, this is y'all's dealing. Like, I have other stuff I got to deal with. So, like, if, if anything worse came to worst happened where, like, I had to step in, I probably would. But, like, right now, I'm just going to let you do your own thing is kind of the way I took it. Maybe that's not the way it was supposed to be. Because, for instance, and my argument on that is because it got to the point he did have to fucking step in their ass was about to be grass <laughs> he stepped in and saved their ass so i think it's more of you know i got shit i gotta do here i'm not gonna kind of like uh like a, a big ceo right like you're not you like so many people think ceos just sit around and just go to meetings and shit all the time no they're doing like all this back-end work that no one fucking knows about like all kinds of shit goes to them all kinds of emails I think Tom Bombadil is kind of like that. Like, he was sitting back and he was like, no, you can take the ring and you can deal with that shit. I got shit I got to do here. <laughs> I'm dealing with the trees, the woods, the elements. If I don't do all this shit, you ain't going to have no trees. You won't be able to breathe because there ain't no oxygen coming into the Shire, <laughs> much less Mordor. So I got major shit to do here because y'all ain't going to be traveling unless you ain't got no air. <laughs> unless uh, uh uh you know even though aragorn is over here you know we'll find out about him later you know um well we heard about aragorn in the past so it doesn't really matter but all these ancient people you know they can all go complain on their own about whatever they're gonna do i got bigger fish to fry so you mr mary and samwise gambagee and Pippin, that's always complaining about second breakfasts, can go eat on the road and take your ring <laughs> with you and get your ass out of here. Because <laughs> I've already dealt with your shit and saved your ass more than once. Now, there ain't no lifelines left and Grandpappy has to go rest now. So get your ass out of here and get on the road and stop eating my fucking food. That's exactly what I think he was thinking. What about you? I just... I I don't know. It just seems like he was unconcerned about anything, which is like a lot to what your point you're saying. My only issue is like, let's say they fail in their journey and the enemy gets the ring. Is he gonna like? He could have helped out along that. Is he gonna be like, oh, well, I guess I kind of screwed the pooch there. I might be sure I went and helped out a bit. You know what I mean? Like, but I'm thinking worst case scenarios here. Like, yeah, like this. This Dark Lord is going to have dominion over everything, including where you are in Middle-earth, Mr. Tom. Like, are you going to be more powerful than Sauron with the ring, too? Like, I don't know. That's, I guess, again, we don't know terribly too much about him, and we don't learn that much about him either, except in the little small passages that he's at at the very beginning of this book. So, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what the, the whole deal is there. That's um, it's 
great questions for uh, the future, which probably still won't be answered because there's no one left to ask. <laughs> so we're just gonna have to. <laughs> there's no one left to. <laughs> we're ever just ask. gonna have to accept <laughs> the fact that we we're gonna we're not gonna know what we're not gonna know, and we gotta keep the, the, the party the party moving, man. So going into chapter nine at the sign of the prance and pony. There are some important parts of this chapter. To me, it was more of a filler chapter in its totality. It's in my own opinion. Like certain things were introduced and certain things were, were said and, and they kind of lead up to bigger events later on. But for me, a lot of my takeaways here is the, they get to what's called Bree and they kind of go past that guard there. They have to you know keep the disguise of, we're gonna give, that's another thing too. Like, can we just talk about this for a second? Like they're like, okay, we're all gonna be ourselves, but Frodo, you're gonna be Mr. Underhill. But guess what? No one will know that you're actually Frodo Baggins, but we're gonna use all our names, even though everybody knows your best friends in the Shire are Mary <laughs> Mary Brandy Buck, like a, a Peregrine Took, Samwise Gamgee. We know that those three are great friends of Frodo Baggins, but they'll never guess if we're all together and you say Mr. Underhill that you're actually Frodo Baggins. <laughs> like like what in the world they all like I would get it if they all had like code names, but they all gave their real name except Frodo, like that wasn't gonna give it away regardless. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is dumb as shit. This uh, this made me think of you know what it reminded me of? Not to bring up other franchises, but it reminded me of like Harry went to when he went to Bill and Fleur's wedding in Deathly Hallows, and like he went by like another name, uh, and then but this is more of the film version. Like he was fine, <laughs> like went by another name, but all those fucking people were there. <laughs> it's like what the fuck? Like the book at least he had like the polyjuice potion, um, but <laughs> in the film he was just like. <laughs> <laughs> they just accepted it, even though the entire fucking ministry is under attack by Death Eaters. Like they just accepted, like, yeah, he goes by a different name, so he's no, <laughs> he's a different person now. That's almost like uh it's like the Christian Bale Batman thing in a way. I can disguise my voice, even though uh even though <laughs> there's only one person that keeps diving down from Wayne Towers every fucking night and only one person can get in there besides the butler like, who the fuck else is that <laughs> that's just my thoughts on it man i i mean maybe like back in the day like when this was written in like the 40s or whatever you said like maybe like maybe they thought that was like super creative maybe like oh man like he even gave him like a secret identity like a secret agent like, maybe they weren't thinking about it, but nowadays, I look at that shit, and I'm like, I would have walked in there, I would have taken out, like, a sketch, because they didn't have actual photographs in the Shire, but I would have taken out a fucking sketch from Bilbo's wedding of Frodo, Mary, and Pippin, where you know they were making art and sketches, because this is a fucking, or not wedding, his birthday party, this is fucking 111th birthday, so you know they were taking sketches, because they can't take photos, and I was sat there and looked there and said... That looks very similar to Frodo, and he's sitting next to three people that go by the name Sam, Mary, and Pippin. That's the guy. <laughs> That's the guy. Shire's most wanted. I just solved the case my first fucking day. First fucking day at the end, man. First fucking day at the end. Exactly. I'll let you go into that, because I thought this was absolutely stupid. 
biggest fucking plot hole I've seen in this book so far. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was, it was a bit much. Uh, but yeah, you know, we get the they they get to the gate there. They give him the name Underhill. They don't want to give their business to the guy, and then apparently Mary Brandybuck is uh, related to some people that live in Bree. So he gives his last name, and they like, all right, well, come on in, and they go on in. They get to the prancing pony. They get in there and they meet the bartender. The bartender's like super busy, and he says, "Oh, we might be able to you know squeeze room for hobbits if you're regular sized people. Probably couldn't do it because it's just so busy in here." Just bustling about, uh, so they get like this the Hobbit room on the first floor. Uh, it's a little small, little den and, and cubby hole because you know how small they are. We talked about it last week, but uh, you know they they're kind of just chilling in that that common room area there. Well, first before they go to the common room, they're chilling in like their like suite room, like where they have the the beds and all that. And basically, they're like, hey, should we just kind of chill out, or should we go down there and mingle with the people? Maybe have a pint or two like yeah let's go have a pint mary's like no i'm gonna chill here and so then it's pippin frodo and sam that go down and pippin doing pippin things just ruining everything starts talking about the story at bilbo's birthday party and he was getting real close to mentioning the part where bilbo puts the ring on and disappears and you know this is this is where it kind of it's kind of cool too because strider is the one that brought frodo over to the side and he's like hey like you're, bringing, you're drawing a quite a bit of attention to yourselves with your buddy over there. He's telling a whole story. You better go get him. And Frodo's like, ah, damn it. And so then Frodo, like, right when Pippin starts to get to that point about Bilbo building up to, like, the ring disappearance there. Because he's got a big audience. They're all laughing. He feels important. He's like, yeah, I got a whole crowd listening to my words. They're hanging on to every word. I'm going to I'm gonna entertain the shit out of these guys. Wait till they hear the story about Bilbo and the ring. They're going to love this one. And then fucking Frodo's like, wait a second. Yo, we can't do that. So, like, Frodo jumps up on the table and starts singing this random folk song that Bilbo taught him way back in the day. It steals Pippin's shine just so Pippin will shut the hell up. And then, like, kind of puts his foot in his own mouth, so to speak, because he slides and falls off the damn table, so that way Pippin wouldn't say anything he wasn't supposed to. Then Frodo falls down, the ring falls on Frodo's hands, Frodo disappears, so worse than Pippin's, like, mentioning Bilbo Baggins, everyone just saw Frodo disappear after he was trying to save, like, the story, making sure no one knows and asks too many questions. Everyone just was looking at you, you were the star of the show, you were singing and dancing up on that table, and then you fall down, and your ring comes on, and you disappear, and everyone's freaking out now, and he, he like, pulls the ring off his finger, he's calling on the table, and Strider's like, yeah, you're pretty fucking stupid, man, that, that didn't work out very well, did it? No, it didn't. And so, anyways, they they kept going to the bartender, like the other the people who were in the bar. They're like, "Hey, did, did you see what happened?" And he's like, "Oh, no one just disappears. Try to sweep it under the rug." But there were some suspicious people. They didn't. They they knew something wasn't right. And you know, we're gonna hear just a little bit more about them later on. But they're not trustful people, and they might be giving people up to uh, you know giving the little hobbits up here pretty soon. Uh, anyways, so after that, they they kind of close out the chapter. They, they basically says Strider wants a word with Frodo in private. So does Mr. Underhill. Because now this is a big old situation. And so that's kind of where we're at at this point in time with the rest of this chapter. Is that Frodo... Pippin's the first idiot. And then Frodo's the second idiot for trying to undo the idiocy of Pippin. And then Strider's like makes his appearance, which is really cool, obviously. like He's going to be a big player later on. But Strider's like, listen, we got to go talk in private. Because obviously you guys have no idea what you're doing. And then the bartender's like, hey, I actually got to talk to you, too, because this is there's some stuff going on. My, like, the, the, the 
wheels are starting to turn in my head too like, like pieces are fitting into like the holes and stuff so all right now we got talking so that's what we're gonna kind of get to in just a little bit but that's my takeaways from that chapter the uh, uh at the sign of the prancing pony which would be chapter nine i'll turn it over to you what were some of the takeaways that you had yeah no you nailed it uh just my takeaways the only thing i want to read here is just like strider's not his introduction but like his description i thought was really cool and then the way he approached frodo was uh really cool so um on here real quick so this is kind of on mine is the second edition but it's just the bottom of page 168 which is the last two paragraphs um so on 168 it says frodo notices him and says who is that frodo asked when he got the chance to whisper to mr butterbur i don't think you introduced him him said the landlord in an answering whisper cocking an eye without turning his head i don't rightly know he is one of the wandering folk rangers we call them he seldom asks not but what he can tell a rare tale when he has the mind he disappears for a month or a year and then he pops up again he was in and out pretty often last spring but i haven't seen him about lately what his right name is i've never heard but he's known round here as strider so i thought it was important because he mentions his right name so that's kind of a big moment because we find out more uh, exactly who he is actually coming up really shortly and then just the last thing i had here was just i thought it was really funny the way he approached him about the situation with the ring as he goes uh so he's, he looks at uh, frodo and it says well said strider when he reappeared why did you do that worse than anything your friends could have said you have put your foot in it or should i say your finger <laughs> so i thought that was just so funny um and, and it, it just goes to show you know strider is definitely someone not to be messed with already and uh you you already get that sense of there's definitely something more about him than just someone that comes to the bar and drinks beer so uh yeah that's all i had for that chapter man and i'll let you take it away sounds good yeah i'll go ahead and and take it into the last chapter that we'll cover today which is chapter 10 uh, it's titled Strider. So as you can expect, we're probably going to learn a little bit more about that guy here. Uh, so <laughs> the biggest uh, answers, or not answers, but like the biggest takeaways, I should say, um, from this chapter is that Strider kind of makes his introduction more formalized. He goes to their room, which is kind of interesting. I wonder how he seemed like a tall man and was able to fit into the the hobbit room <laughs> i don't know if he had to crawl on his hands and knees to get in there or what but apparently he can just you know chill in there and it's not a problem uh that's i don't know if someone can answer that for me that'd be great <laughs> but anyways uh they he starts kind of having the discussion with them he talks about this guy named bill fernie and how he has like an evil name in breland and that weird people call at his house meaning you know uh, he would he would sell somebody out to like either to gain for himself or just to cause mischief for amusement, and so that's one of the people I was talking about. Kind of gave a weird eye to it and decided that you know they, there was something screwy going around with these hobbits, and so that's what you know that, that's some of the things that I have taken away here. He kind of tries to introduce himself, but not really introduce himself too at the same time. Like he's being very very shady about himself 
and all that. He does seem to know a hell of a lot. He keeps like dancing around the issue of the ring, like waiting for them to kind of make the final thing. Okay, man, we get it. You know about the ring, like what's going on here. He's kind of playing coy. I think they're both trying to feel each other out, right? The hobbits are trying to feel him out. He's trying to feel them out. Like Frodo gets the sense that he can trust him. He's like, you know, you you, ha I, you feel like I could trust you, but you know, I feel if you were a big danger to me, I would have I would feel a different sense than I'm getting. And Sam's like, I don't know. I still don't really trust his ass. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is the we don't we shouldn't trust him because what ended up happening is what Strider wants right now. He's like, listen, I'm gonna give you all the information you want. Well, pieces of it anyway is what I want to give you, and I'm gonna get a reward in return. And my reward is like, I want to be your guide. I want to be the person taking you to where you need to go. Because it's clear to me right now, you idiots have no idea what the fuck you're doing. So like, you're gonna need my help because you you guys are in a mess. You don't even know how bad it is. Like you you know these black riders are a problem. You don't even know how much of a problem they are, how many they are, or like what else awaits you on the air. So like, literally all I want to do is just make sure you get from here to Rivendell, and I can make that happen. And they're like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then uh, I think kind of what seals it is what kind of happens next when Mr. Uh, Butterbur comes into the room there and decides to have a private conversation with Frodo too about how he was supposed to have this envelope delivered to Frodo in the Shire. It was from Gandalf. And we open up the letter, and I'm actually going to read the letter in its entirety because I think it's got some level of importance to it. And there's a couple things of foreshadowed there as well too in this letter. And I think that's what kind of snaps him into the whole like okay i guess we gotta trust this this stranger ranger <laughs> the ranger stranger there you go <laughs> <laughs> so this is the letter from gandalf to frodo that never made it to frodo in the shire but now he's here at the prancing pony it says the prancing pony brie mid-year's day shire year 1418 dear frodo bad news has reached me here i must go off at once you had better leave Bag End soon and get out of the Shire before the end of July at latest. I'll return as soon as I can, and I will follow you if I find that you are gone. Leave a message for me here if you pass through Bree. You can trust the landlord, Butterbur. You may meet a friend of mine on the road. A man, lean, dark, tall, by some called Strider. He knows our business and will help you. Make for Rivendell. There I hope we may meet again. If I do not come, Elrond will advise you. Yours in haste, Gandalf. P.S. Do not use it again, not for any reason, whatever. Do not travel by night. P.P.S. Make sure that it is the real Strider. There are many strange men on the roads. His true name is Aragorn. All that gold, all that is gold does not glitter not all those who wander are lost the old that is strong does not wither deep roots are not reached by the frost from the ashes a fire shall be woken a light from the shadows shall spring renewed shall be blade that was broken the crownless again shall be king PPPS I hope Butterbur sends us promptly a worthy man, but his memory is like a lumber room. Thing I always want, things always want to be buried. If he forgets, I shall roast him. Farewell. So there is a couple pieces of really important information in that letter. For me, the biggest takeaways I had from the letter is that Gandalf had some sort of issue and like he wasn't going to make it in time, and we could have already had an idea and I what was going on if this guy would have delivered the letter to Frodo but the biggest thing is that is that middle one 
that passage again I'll read it all that is gold does not glitter not all those who wander are lost the old that is strong does not wither deep roots are not reached by the frost from the ashes a fire shall be woken a light from the shadow shall spring renewed shall be blade that was broken the crownless again shall be king to me I don't even I I think Gandalf had an idea that maybe Strider would be with them when they read that letter and that part there is just really really important for the rest of the story and it's amazing how that's foreshadowed so early on that it has a really big true meaning to that and on that as well and this is even talking about I guess the this is foreshadows a little bit but it's also a bit of a difference between the novel and the film I'm not trying to you know detail it as a difference but they, when they, like, Sam still doesn't quite feel, like, like, everyone else is like, yeah, okay, we get it, it's point time. Sam's still kind of a little distrustful, and, and you know, almost asks, you know, Strider to prove it in a way, like, Strider's like, well, you know, he described me to a T, but if you don't want that, here, here's this, and he opens, he, like, pulls out a sword that was broken at the hilt, and he said, this blade shall be renewed once again, and that's not how we were introduced to the certain broken sword in the films, right? So it was just very, very interesting right. How that it was, and I actually forgot that that is how it was. It was brought up there, and then at the very, very end here, Mary finally makes his way back inside. He's spooked and freaked out. What ended up happening is he left. He went up the road and saw that they were near that Bill Fernie guy's house, talking about the Black Riders. They are back in town. They they were going to get some information from him because he was one of the ones that you couldn't trust in the inn, is what Strider was saying. And now that came full circle because now the Black Riders know where Frodo and the Ring are at. And there was something interesting about this too when Mary was talking about it. It said that uh, the Hobbit, I think his name was Nob, like the Hobbit assistant of Butterbur, was like sent out to look for Mary. He said like two figures picked up like Mary from the road and like had him above the eye, like the their heads and the, holding him in the sky, and like something was happening where like the, the the cloak was close to his face. And there, I just I wanted to find that he just says, this is what Mary says. He says, I'm afraid that's true. Though I don't know what I said. I had an ugly dream, which I can't remember. I went to pieces. I don't know what came over me. I do, said Strider. The black breath. The riders must have left their horses outside and passed through the south gate in secret. They will know all the news now, for they have visited Bill Fernie, and probably that southerner was a spy as well. Something may happen in the night before we leave Bree. So this black breath... Again, kind of drawing comparisons to other franchises, kind of almost seems like the Dementors kiss, right? <laughs> like, like what was this Black Breath thing? And the only reason that they fled is because like there was a light coming up the road from Nob going to get to get Mary, and Mary is kind of unconscious, and he and he kind of comes to once Nob gets to him, and he like sprinted all the way back there. And so now we're like in this situation where okay, we're gonna end up trusting this guy. We gotta cause a distraction or a diversion, I should say. We're gonna make you know these beds in this other area where we're gonna leak the information you guys are staying at, but it's actually not gonna be y'all. You guys, we gotta get the fuck out at first light. We are in trouble, and that is like my takeaway there for the last one is that now Strider has joined the group. He will be guiding them on the raid to Rivendell, and all these crazy things happen, including a big foreshadow of what's going to come as the result of the great war here ahead of us and yeah that oh, those are my takeaways for that chapter what are some takeaways that you have yeah just uh, a couple of takeaways uh so one is that uh strider tells him that they're going to make their way to weathertop which is a hill on rivendell 
uh, so they can view the area. And then the intention is well, is that Weather, Weathertop is, is not in Rivendell. It's halfway between Rivendell and Bree. Yeah, so, sorry, yeah. It's like sorry. it's like the I meant on the way. Yeah, it's like yeah. the midpoint. That's kind of like the the halfway house, so to speak, of uh, between Bree and and Rivendell. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I actually put that in there. Sorry, I thought I said that. Uh, yeah, on the way to Rivendell, but um, Gandalf. The intention was is that Gandalf would meet them there. Um, and then the only other takeaway I had it, it's repeating really what you said. I just wanted to read this small part because I thought it was badass where Eric uh, Strider, not to give anything away here, but puts Sam in his place. Um, And it says, Pippin subsided, but Sam was not daunted. And he still eyed Strider dubiously. How do we know you are the Strider that Gandalf speaks about, he demanded. You never mentioned Gandalf until this letter came out. You might be playing play acting spy for all i can see trying to get us to go with you you might have done in that in the real strider and took his clothes what have you to say to that that you are a stout fellow answered strider but i am afraid my only answer to you sam ganji is this if i had killed the real strider i could kill you and i should have killed you already without so much talk if i was after the ring i could have it now he stood up and seemed suddenly to grow taller, and his eyes gleamed a light, keen and commanding. Throwing back his cloak, he laid his hand on the hilt of a sword had hung concealed by his side. They did not dare move. Sam sat wide-mouthed, staring at him dumbly. But I am the real Strider, fortunately, he said, looking down at them with his face softened by a sudden smile. I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And if by life or death I can save you, I will. There was a long silence. At last, Frodo spoke with hesitation. I believe that you were a friend before the letter came, he said, or at least I wish to. You have frightened me several times tonight, but never in a way that servants of enemies would, or so I imagine. I think one of his spies would well seem fairer and feel fouler if you understand. I see, laughed Strider. I look foul and feel fair. Is that it? All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. Did the verses apply to you then? Asked Frodo. I could not make out what they were about. But how did you know that they were in Gandalf's letter if you have not never seen it? I did not know, he answered. But I am Aragorn, and those verses go with that name. He drew out his sword, and they saw that the blade was indeed broken a foot below the hilt. Not much use is it, Sam, said Strider, but the time is near when it shall be forged anew. Sam said nothing. So the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I tried not to give it away right before I read the quote, of course. Typical uh, chase move there. (laughs) But that's why we know now this is the Aragorn that Gandalf spoke about. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. But yeah, and that's all my takeaways, man. Awesome. Yeah, I think we're at the same spot there. And I thought that was important that you read about the hit. Like, like I know I mentioned the fact that he drew out the sword and that it was broken up by the hill. But the fact that you read it out there in its entirety just kind of put it in stone that like this might not have happened the way people remember it. You know, if you guys see people just watch the movie, the the introduction of the sword that was broken is is entirely different in the film than here in the novel. And I I forgot like because like 
you almost think of that sword as a relic, as like almost something you'd find in a museum, right? And this guy is like just walking around the woods like with it in his in his belt loop, just chilling. Like that's that's it's almost it's crazy. There was so much almost like a sacred feel to this sword that when you, when I go back and think about it, then I read you know reading through it right now. It's like, oh, this thing was just on him, no big deal. All right, interesting. So yeah, just I thought it was very, very, uh, very, very telling that they, there's are there are some key differences that maybe you don't even realize that you didn't know. Just simply probably because it's been a long time since you had the novel. But yeah, man, let's go ahead and, and to get into some of these fun debates and and let's do this thing. Yeah. By the way, like, <laughs> I just think it's so funny that. Uh... You got to give Sam props, man. Like he's willing to go up against someone like Strider to defend his friend, and I think that's like one of the big, like, I mean, let's be real. Like Sam has no magical ability whatsoever. Like there's really nothing special about him at all. But you got to give him courage, man, to do that. But yeah, Aragorn just basically said, "Fuck you, man. You're not gonna pull some shit right now and fuck this up. You're not gonna fuck this up for me, Sam. You're not gonna fuck this up for me." <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, you want to go with your debate first? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll go talk about my debate, and you know that I guess my debate really kind of stems from what we talked about earlier, and. It's interesting, right? Because I feel like we've already kind of had the debate, and it, it, it's almost gonna be like kind of beating <laughs> a dead horse. And I'm talking, I was like, in my biggest debate here, I was gonna have was gonna be about Frodo and his ability to have certain dreams and almost like premonitions, or at least seeing things that are happening in current time while he's sleeping and dreaming, which is definitely a power outside Hobbit's abilities, as far as we know. And you know, we kind of that was my debate was gonna be like, hey, do we think it's ring related? Is there something actually special about Frodo specifically? Because one thing. I will say, in the passage of this book, it did say that uh, Gandalf and Bilbo always thought that Frodo was the best hobbit. So, like, there's something very interesting about that. You know, they've probably known however many hobbits in their time. Bilbo, 111 years old. Gandalf, who knows how old he is, but he's probably been through a time or two. And of all the people, of all the hobbits they've ever came across, they all think, like, Frodo was, like, the best of them all. Which, you know, is that just because he's a, a good, innocent, pure-of-heart guy? Or is it because he has some sort of abilities and can do things that other hobbits can't? You know, I guess that was the, maybe the premise of my debate. I can go into it a little bit and maybe throw some things back and forth, but I know we kind of talked about it at length in the middle there. So, yeah, I guess, you know, tell me your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think, I mean, my personal opinion is that the ring is giving him the abilities because we haven't heard anything about this before like at bilbo's party or anything where like uh even like uh not to bring up other franchises but like fred and george right like fred and george in the harry potter series like i feel like you know how they would like do uh like mess with people on the side doing pranks or something you would think something like that would have happened at like the birthday party or something or maybe like he had like some sort of dream before uh, even Bilbo uh, gave up the ring, like something like that, like maybe a dream about Bilbo having it. Uh, so that's my argument is that it's the ring that's doing that to him. Um, but because, but you can make the case that like that never happened to Bilbo either. Um, 
which that goes into that book, The Hobbit, you can look up. So I don't, I don't know. I think it's the ring personally, but that's really all I can say about it. What about you? Yeah, I, there's something special about Frodo because he has some level of resistance to the ring that maybe others haven't so much had, and I don't know if that has anything to do with again. He's just an innocent, you know, good, natural, spirited guy. <laughs> I don't know, or maybe he does have something special about him specifically because i remember like in the, the last week when we talked about it he said something along the lines of like oh i wish the ring had never come to me and you know i, I didn't have to be doing all of this and gandalf says like oh you know so do all that live to see such times but it's not for them to decide you know it's what for them to decide is what they're going to do with the time given to them and so it, it, it seems as if you know he quote unquote is the chosen one right so if he is the chosen one here right it's possible that he could have some level of, you know, abilities that go beyond a, a, just a generic hobbit. Uh, I, I also think I, I like to tend to believe the ring has something to do with it just because of the dark nature of those dreams. But also, it's not even so much dark nature. Like, those things were actually happening. Uh, the first one, it was kind of like a premonition versus what happened in real life. Because it was like seeing the White Tower, but then seeing the White Tower go dark in the thunder. And that kind of, to me, was a, more of a premonition. You know, this one that he saw with, like, a, a figure with white hair that had the staff in his hand and, you know, the eagle flew and scooped him up and took him out. That was more of a thing that maybe would happen in real time, like, outside of where he's at or maybe getting the vision of it. But the first dream he had, that was definitely more premonition-esque in a way. And so, yeah, I don't know. It, it is hard to say. So in that case, you know, I, I, that's not so much as a, of a of one that we already talked about. I have another question now, too, that I just kind of thought of on the fly, and this is more about the Black Riders here. The Black Riders, and we kind of hear about this this Black Breath. What do you think that is? Like, we haven't heard of it yet, Like, and I don't know if we will, if it does come up later on, specifically the Black Breath part of the Black Riders. What do we think that is? What do we think the effects are, and what what's the overall end result of if everything was kind of if if Nob didn't come up that hill with the light and kind of you know made them run off or whatever, what is that uh, end result of the black breath from these black riders? Do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I we it is true. This is never really answered. I mean, I don't want to give away too much about them. I mean, we kind of know a good bit about them already. Um, my argument would be. I think that's a distinction that's on them based on the creature that they are for how they were created uh, is my uh, which I think I think which we'll learn a lot more about this later on in the books with instances I think that's one of the ways like the elves can even elves can identify them um, almost like a like if you ever like smelled like a wet animal or something like i almost think that's like what it is like it's like almost like uh if you smell that smell that they have like the black breath or it's almost like a distinction uh that you know like it's it's that negative feel uh, that they're approaching that's my personal opinion i don't know too much about the black breath i'll try to do more research into it but that's just my thoughts what about you 
For me, I think that the Black Breath might be similar to the Dementor's Kiss, but instead of maybe relieving the victim of its soul, I think maybe potentially this Black Breath thing could incapacitate someone to the point of, of maybe it becomes a servant of the Black Riders. Like the victim becomes, you know, someone who is going to follow these Black Riders and kind of do their bidding, or so to speak. I think that's possible. Uh, and it would make it kind of more badass than just like, uh, okay, here I am, you know I'm not human. So, you know, because the, the Black Breath did make Mary go unconscious, right? Mm-hmm. So there's right. some level of property to it that is harmful. And I think it would be really interesting if, you know, like I said, I don't think it, it does the Dementor level where it's going to suck out your soul and just leave you a shell of like a person. But I think it could somewhat, you know, either kill you i think that would be a cool like i don't know side effect of this black breath or the effect of the black breath is to kill it's the person who kind of gets it full on for a certain amount of time or it could you know change you and turn you into a servant of darkness of the black riders you'll do like their bidding and like you will almost be like a minion of the black riders who are already minions of sauron so it's almost like that that trickle down here you know like we had the night king then we had the white walkers then we had the whites maybe that would kind of be like that right we got sauron we got the black riders and we got whoever the black riders can turn into minions or so to speak so i don't know that for a fact that i didn't do any sort of research on it i just think that would be some cool level of an ability uh for these black riders to have is to you know almost like turn them uh, to darkness a little bit. So I don't know. That That's just my thought. It's, good. it's a possibility, right? <laughs> yeah, it makes sense, man. I'll try to do more research on that because that's, that's really interesting. But yeah, great stuff. Cool. So let's go ahead and jump into your debate. So it's funny we keep kind of like circling around the debates we've talked about. Mine is about old Tommy Bombadilio. <laughs> Tom Bombadil. So there are two fan theories that have been argued because uh, just like we discussed, there's really not a whole lot of material on Tom Bombadil that was written by J.R.R. Tolkien. And so many people really wish they had the opportunities to read more about him or even ask Tolkien in interviews like what was kind of the point of his character. There's two fan theories. So, and this is actually based on material that is written about Tom Bombadil that can be found in different, uh, different Elvish scripts, actually, that you can find by publications by Tolkien that weren't finished. But they refer, actually, in some of those to Tom Bombadil as, uh, with, of course, how they've referred to him in Elvish as, like, uh, basically, like, the creator of old or something like that. I can't remember the exact words, but the thought is that Tom Bombadil Tom the thought is is that Tom Bombadil could be Iru Ilavator, which is mentioned as referred to as the creator of all things in the Elvish language. Also the other thought is is that Tom Bombadil could be uh, an Anur, which what that is, is that's the creator of music, as J.R. Tolkien has described in some of the appendixes, which basically those are almost like the Maya, like they've been there from the original point in time, but they've created music in this land, so it's able to develop the elements around them, so they're almost like 
unbeatable because they are part of the original things, which kind of goes into the point of him being able to control things with his song and people being able to reach out to him. So just two interesting thoughts. Nothing's been confirmed by this, but the idea of him being possibly Aru Ilavatar, the creator of things, is the fan theory because maybe J.R.R. Tolkien wanted to create a character to show that he is over everything and he is letting everyone determine their own outcome almost like more of like an overseer where he's not interested in the outcome because he already knows the outcome but he's creator of everything or almost like uh, the creator of music by just using the musical element and he's in control of the elements but he's not interested in those accords like the thought technically they've even said is Tom Bombadil is actually the confrontation of Sauron and he would be or of Sauron which he is the only one that could actually beat Sauron but he wouldn't use his abilities to fight Sauron because he's letting everyone control their own destiny in this situation because he's just looking at it from an outside creation universal force what's your thoughts on that I'm not opposed to that theory at all. I, I think it's got, you know, it's it's some merits and good basis of a backing of an argument there. My only issue is that it's such a random place for, like, a creator of all things to, to be. Like, the old forest yeah. in some random yeah. area. of like It's not in one of the big kingdoms, right? Like, there's, you know, we're going to hear about these big kingdoms later on. And you, if you see, like, the map on one of the first pages of the book, that the old forest is just very secluded area. And it's very relatively small you think if like a creator of all things would be like either in the center of everything one of the bigger areas or whatever i you know and it, 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 we've heard him say a couple times like uh, talking about like to go to your fortune whether either good or ill so i don't even know if it's someone who like knows the outcome i just think he's unconcerned about the outcome because you know i guess if they hold let's say sauron wins this great war and all evil spreads across the land and you know they burn down trees and they just you know, take over everything. Maybe he's just unconcerned because it doesn't bother him. He he's part of everything, or he could kind of just disappear with everything as well too. You know, it's not something like he's like a like a, a fighter to keep things alive or so to speak. But then if I say that, he also did save Sam and Frodo and Merry and Pippin a few times. And here's the thing: if he if he kind of knew their fortune ahead of time, wouldn't he just already like? go with them from his house to take them to the main road instead of giving them the opportunity to get there first and all of a sudden they are trapped by the, that little barrel white and then he's got to sing out to him and then he appears like weapons he forgot to sing out to him is he going to show up there and save him like who knows man like i don't know there's just so many variables to this thing it's just it's hard to really pinpoint pinpoint it but he obviously thought it was important enough to to save them a few times so I don't know what their their journey, their quest, and it's like these elves, like uh, Gildor, they came through and they held him in high regard. Gandalf talks about him as well too. He he seems to know a lot about a lot of things, and you know Strider he mentions you know he saw you with Tom Bombadil at the at the end of the the old forest there. So he's definitely like someone that's trustworthy, but I don't know. Like I said, is, is, is it possible that his power is derived just from his his area of the forest because he was there and he kind of cultivated it from from bare minimum from scratch i guess i could say i don't know it's just i don't think it, it's so much like a, he's I, he doesn't concern me 
or he he to me he doesn't seem like like someone who fights. Like he's not going to be going to put on his chain mail, grab a sword and go into battle and fight things. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like his own little person right. like cultivating his own area, concerned about what's going on in, in his neck of the woods, making sure every everything is kind of controlled and and under wraps as it should be and and you kind of have it's almost like I don't know. And, and this is a bad reference too. But like maybe was talking about Goldberry and her, her sort of mystical properties potentially she seems to have some level of control over elements and stuff it's almost like the first two settlers you know almost like an Adam and Eve type thing you know maybe they're not like the creators themselves but maybe they're the first they're the first settlers like period and you know everything kind of came from them that that's there outside of the people like that came from other areas outside of Middle Earth and ended up migrating there or whatever but you know I, I don't know it, it just there's just so many different variables, and he's just been there through it all. He's you know he's seen you know kings fall, you know the darkness rise. He's seen the fall of Sauron. He's he's been there seemingly from the beginning. It's just you would think that that being said, there'd be some more prominence to it instead of just some secluded forest in the top part of a map that really does nothing to do with anything else. You would think there would be some like level of importance, you know what I mean? And it just didn't seem that way, especially you know. The fact that I don't, again, maybe we do hear about him. I don't recall. It's been a long time since I read the novels. But if this is all that we got from him. It's almost, it didn't seem like that he was that important. <laughs> like, I don't know. To the story, anyways. You know, maybe it's important to Middle Earth, but it didn't seem like he was that important to the story. You know, I don't know, man. I, those are some thoughts that I have. It's just tough for me to pinpoint it because it's almost, there's a contradiction to every conclusion that we can draw. And that actually makes it more enigmatic and kind of exciting to think about. I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think the biggest point you brought up was, you know, like that could very well, the extent of his powers could just be in that forest. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess it's just something. It's kind of like if you ever seen Inception, like at the very end of the film, like the... <laughs> the like totem just continues to spin <laughs> that's exactly what this is like that was it um so it's very interesting and not to bring up differences in the film but that's why we really don't hear about him in the film in my opinion is because i guess they were like well there's no answers <laughs> like this is just it like i hope you enjoyed that chapter because that's really all we get on this guy you know like we get a couple of few references later on i think when they were talking about you know who carries the ring and stuff but that's i think that's pretty much it so i gotta agree with you man yeah i think it's just something that it's up to you to determine what he is which is one of the uh, biggest questions that's always surrounded the lord of the rings franchise because uh, unfortunately there's no one to ask <laughs> so man yeah and i'll let you uh close us out i uh I, I, that's my takeaways on uh, that debate there. Yeah, I think that that does it for the day, man. So, yeah, guys, I, we, we hope you enjoyed the, the, this part two here of Fellowship of the Ring. Again, we covered chapters uh, six through ten. Uh, that like, That's going to be kind of the theme going forward is we're going to cover certain levels of chapters at a time. Uh, here pretty soon, we're already kind of getting to that midway point of the novel. Not quite there yet, but then we're gonna, again, we're, remember, we're going to kind of stop the novel at the certain halfway point and then do differences part one with the film now be coming up here i believe in two weeks if i'm not mistaken and yeah that's going to be really exciting to kind of split it up like that but you know it, it almost seems like we're, we're flying through this thing and so it's kind of cool it's a lot different than 
you know, some of our past works that we've done, if you guys have been with us from the very beginning. And, you know, you know, a good segue off of that is if you have been here with us since the very beginning, thank you so much for, you know, the continued support. We really appreciate that. If this is the first time you joined us here today, we hope you really enjoy what you heard and that you want to stick around for a while. You know, when it comes to where you can find us in terms of our social media, you know, we are on Instagram at Official Ridiculous Patronus. We're on TikTok at Ridiculous Patronus. We're on Facebook, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. That's our fan page there. We also have our own website, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. We're on Twitter at RP Factor Fantasy. We're on Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy. We also do have a backup Instagram and TikTok, which is at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. So please give us a like, click subscribe, follow along, leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts would be fantastic. Uh, I know Spotify has started to give the ability to leave star ratings, so please go ahead and do so if you haven't done so already. On top of that, we do have our YouTube page as well, at Ridiculous Patronus, that Chase puts up some cool videos on there from time to time, so go ahead and give us a subscribe and a follow along there. And when it comes to where you can find the podcast in and of itself, well, if you are an Apple user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. And if you are an Android user, you can find us on Spotify, on Google Play, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on Audible, we're on Amazon Music, we're on Podbean, right? wherever you find or get your podcast, that's where we are, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy. But we're out for the day, because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing, signing off. off.